0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor.
1: Places, everyone, it's time for Matt The Connor, Connor and Smith Show! Thank you, Places. Well,
0: tonight we've got a really special guest on tonight. I think that
1: was the first time we ever did that almost in the same pitch. Oh, well, accomplishments. Yeah,
0: rehearsal really pays off. That's right, no marking. All right, speaking of no marking, our guest tonight is Sam Harris. Uh, you may know him as the first Star Search. Winner, but his career is so much more broader than that. He is a director, he is a writer, he is a Broadway performer. He is just an incredible human being. We had such a great time with him.
1: It's the best conversation.
0: It really is. We
1: had a lot of fun. We didn't make it uh, about all show business. We talked about lots of, just lots of stuff. talked about his dog.
0: And Sam has an amazing laugh i love hearing him laugh um and if you've never heard him come on uh we'll put the website in the description but let's take a break real quick and then we'll be right back with sam harris clear. Perfect. Hi, Sam. I'm Stephen. I'm here with my husband, Matt. Hi, Sam. I'm the raspy one in the room.
2: The raspy? Yeah, I'll be the the raspy voice in the room. You don't sound raspy to me, Matt. Oh, good. Good.
0: good. (laughs) Sam, how are you? I'm really good. I'm tired all the time, but I'm good. Sam, uh, just so some history of, of, you know, everyone feels like they know you cause you're famous. Um, but I first saw you in Joseph, the tour of Joseph. Oh, in, uh, Cleveland, I believe I'm from, uh, Pennsylvania and Matt's from Virginia. We now reside in Arlington, but uh-huh. I, I went to see the tour of Joseph, um, And then became a member of the Sam Harris fan club. Got the newsletter. (laughs) Um, And then years later, we met you at, oh God, what was it called? The Birchmere. That's right. We were at the Birchmere. In Virginia. And you were were promoting, it was a holiday concert. It was for your holiday album. Oh, okay. And so... We know you.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Sam was singing. Uh, Havanashira. Havanashira. We, we were so impressed by that moment. Yeah. Do, you, why,
2: do, you, do you sing that yourselves? Now we do. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's... my
2: friend, Laura, one, years and years, a hundred years ago, sat in, in my living room with me and a bunch of friends and taught us Havanashira, and then we did it in the round And I found it so uh, just emotional and spiritual and zenny and just so sweet. And so I I ended up putting it on a a record, absolutely.
0: That album is one of my favorite holiday albums, love it. I love all your albums, big fan. Thank you. Um, And then I saw you also, I forgot to mention this one, The Life, uh, kind of a big Uh, deal. One of my favorites. Um, now
1: now Stephen, are you going to tell uh Sam that he was your voice teacher and you basically tried <laughs> to sing like him and you became a, a great singer? I taught mm.
0: myself how to sing by singing along to your recordings really
1: yeah
2: <laughs> do, do you have any do you have, what do you have anything to pass on to me like, to
0: learn
1: <laughs> well, he didn't win star Surge so yeah he
0: <laughs> did not um no I just you're, Whatever it is about your voice, it fit perfectly in my pocket of, wow. of, of like where I feel comfortable singing. I always got put in like the alto section. Yes, um, yes. I was always the person in shows where music directors would say, oh, I need another alto. Out- oh, yes, Stephen, you can take you know, that. I,
2: but you know what? It's also, and thank you for telling me that because I, you know, I certainly learned from other people about, placement and how to protect your voice at the same time of having that kind of power. And it is a technique for sure. I mean, it's, it's uh, tricky because I, you have to, it's what I call about either out of the mouth or out of the mask. Right. You have to have the mask to survive, but then you choose those places for out of the mouth. And for those of you who are listening, who don't know what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) It's the difference between,
0: uh, I can't explain it. It's probably boring. Um, anyway. And don't explain
1: it. We don't want to I, give away secrets.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I won't, Stephen.
1: Uh, but Rolling Stone Magazine listed you as one of the top 100 singers of all time.
2: They did. I mean, no. I don't know who was responsible at the time, but they seemed, they must have made a mistake.
1: <laughs> no. What was your vocal journey? Were you, did, were you singing as a kid? Oh, God, yes. Yeah.
2: I knew my greatest blessing in my life is that I knew what I loved when I was like three years old. I love to sing. I love to write. I love to tell stories. I, I just knew. And, you know, I have a, I have a son who's 13 years old, and um, he's experimenting with so many ideas of who he is and what he wants and what he wants to be and what his passion is. And it's, it's my husband, Danny, always says, Sam, you're the freak. You're the anomaly who knew when you were like, you know, less than two feet tall. Kids, they need time. They need time to figure out who they are. That was my blessing. I always knew. And so then I could put all that time into it because it was not only my passion, but it was also sort of my little, uh, my survival, the way that I coped. And um I spent, you know, a gazillion hours before I was an adult, just sort of figuring out how it worked and who I was and what I loved and who I loved and the things that influenced me. So that was, I, uh, yes, I've been, I've been singing and writing and making shit up for a long time.
1: Right. So you being a singer is not a period. It is a comma. You have many commas to your uh, career
0: yeah I guess yes yeah writer director producer author I mean there's a lot of things that go into Sam Harris um so so Star Search is the beginning of it all right I Star Search was the beginning of a public platform Mm -hmm. but
2: you know I I left home when I was really when I was like 15 years old and uh to find my tribe, you know, to leave. I grew up in a small rural town in Oklahoma and I left when I was 15. And I look at my kid who's 13 and I'm like, oh. or I see a 15 year old, I'm like, oh my God, how did my parents ever let this happen? But one, they didn't have a choice. And also I was really focused and really driven. So I would say that journey started at that age. That's when I started to sort of find who I was so by the time star search happened I had a good idea of who I was how I sang my repertoire of, of, of an image of myself and what I wanted to say you know what I mean
0: absolutely yeah so leaving home at 15 is first of all um just incredible so was that out of like sexuality driven was that artistic driven was that everything driven
2: yeah it was all those things i don't think i was aware of all of them um but i uh, yeah I, I needed to seek others like me and and that's all the categories you just mentioned yeah other people who have the same goals the same passion other people who like i said find my tribe and the sexuality had certainly been an issue. We're talking about, you know, late 70s. Right. In, in, a, in, a, in a southern, in a, you know, a rural town. So that was certainly part of it. Um, you know, I fell in love when I was 16 years old. And then I came back for a few months to Oklahoma. And there, I, there was a suicide attempt. And it wasn't because of shame so much as it was because I had experienced my concept of love and thought this will never I will never be able to expand on this I will never have anything remotely uh, normal and so this uh, suicide attempt was not out of God hates me which is more typical I think growing up there as much as it was wow I've tasted I've tasted
0: something beautiful and I can't have it right yeah i i think you know also different times um and you have to see it to be it right Mm -hmm. and Yeah. yeah i i guess um there was nothing to see right exactly there was i mean even in the 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 time of me growing up there was very little to see especially where i was i was in you know south of pittsburgh right and um there was something about seeing you dancing around in a rainbow coat <laughs> that made me kind of go, it was my ring of keys moment, as we call it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I of course subscribed to that newsletter because I wanted to see that. I wanted to and then I saw pictures of you and Danny popping up. And Danny was in Joseph in the tour. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And I was like, they're not just friends, come on. Wow, um, yeah. So that's where you met, Danny? We did. We met doing the,
2: the Broadway National Tour of Joseph in New York City at 890, which is the, a big rehearsal space where Broadway shows rehearse.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: we met, and um, it, there was a connection um, fairly soon. And uh, it was freeing and scary and wonderful. And, of course, you know, when you're on the road, you live in a vacuum. You live in a total bubble where after a while, nothing exists except that company of, of players and your uh, sort of inside incestuous life with those people. So it was definitely a, what's the word? a recipe for either love or disaster. and th- <laughs> thankfully, it was love because that was 26 years ago. Wow, and we are together. For all these years, and we have a 13-year-old boy, as I mentioned, and so uh, it was one of those uh,
0: amazing road statistics. <laughs> right, right. 26 years is yeah. like a lifetime in gay years. You know what? I Can I just tell you something, Stephen? I, I hate
2: hearing that. I resent hearing that because I disagree. I think right now people partner for for a long time and they get married and they commit to each other. And I I think the old thing of like oh gay people go through relationships like water and it's this I don't think that's true anymore any more than it is for straight people. I think I think right now because of the rights we've attained because of the uh, you know the equality all that I do believe that We're not different from anybody else. We're looking for something to sustain itself. Um, It's one thing when you're 18 years old, or you're 20 years old, or you're 25 years old, and you're fucking around and you're experimenting, just like everybody. But then at a certain point, we are looking for something that has some sustenance. How long have you guys been
0: together? Well, I I was gonna say, I say that because that's what people say to us all the time, (laughs) because we've been together for 23 years. So stop it. Tell them to stop it. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that's a long time. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. That is,
0: that is a commitment.
2: That's work. That's yeah. A, that's the real thing. And frankly, I mean, I don't frankly, I don't know any 25 year olds, but should I? I would say, you know, sow your seeds, do whatever, and then settle down and be a person. Absolutely.
1: Um, I think that we should, we should start a campaign, Stephen. Okay. We're going to change it around. Okay. Um,
0: (laughs) we've been together longer than most people have known us apart Mm -hmm. so i we i yeah i i i agree i should turn the tables the next time someone says that um so much apologies um apologies
2: i'm just saying we have outgrown it's a misnomer we have outgrown that uh stereotype
1: yeah yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, I'm 51 years old, and I think growing up, I never, I've had so many years of not having what I have now, and mm-hmm. it, 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 it takes a while, you know, I think even the last four years has kind of put me into a different mindset as well, of like, yes. where, where are we now, because yep. we celebrated so hard when yep. the White House had rainbow-colored lights on it. right. And then all of a sudden we get put into like this foggy four years of like, what is happening?
2: You know, I had a conversation this morning with a very dear friend and I said, don't be too sure that federal marriage equality is is going to exist. Because I do think Roe v. Wade is threatening to be overturned. I do think federal e- marriage equality is threatening to be over- overturned. And she was like, that could never happen. That could never happen. And I said, hello, you know, like Germany, 1929, <laughs> it starts. Yeah. It starts. And so it start- we have to be very smart and very careful because I, I, we've, if we've learned nothing in those last four years or five years, even before it's that we can count on progress does not mean uh, solidity.
1: Right.
0: You know, it's, it's, an, it that's, a. it's why things like pride are so important. Pride yep. month are so important. Yeah. Um, it's not so much a party as it is. Uh, hey, remember, this is still important and still a struggle and still not equal. That is right. That is Ed. very, very
2: true. And I and think I, there, is, there is a generation of people who are like, uh, you know what? Of course I'm equal. Of course I deserve this. Of course this is what should be. And so there's not a great need for them to look back and how we, they got there because they were born into uh, a society that, where they can get married and they can have children and they can do all these things. Well, it, it didn't come easily. And, you know, the old saying is once we forget the history, then it it can repeat itself. So it's really important. And And there's another point to this, which is, you know, if you're in another minority, let's say you're in a race, if you're black or you're Jewish or whatever, you have your parents and your forefathers and mothers to tell you where you came from, to tell you what you've overcome, to tell you how they marched on your behalf and and, then what, and gay people don't have gay parents who are their children. So it is incumbent. We don't pass around the news. We don't say, here's where you came from to our children. Our parents didn't do that. They didn't know. So it's incumbent on us as gay people today to tell this story and pass it on because our parents aren't, they can't. It's us, it's us. Right. We cannot forget, we cannot forget.
1: Does it get tricky sometimes when like you're a, a mega star and like uh, Chick-fil-A calls and says, we want you to sing our you know, commercial on television and and there might be other reasons why someone would say, oh, I, I can't really and endorse that. Um, does it get tricky sometimes of uh, you know, someone asks you to sing at a wedding that maybe is a wedding that doesn't condone gay marriage, but they, want, of course, want you there.
0: Well, first
1: of all, I'm not a megastar. Secondly, I- You are in my living room. (laughs) Well,
2: thank you. And perhaps the reason I'm not a megastar is because I have always uh, cherished a, a personal life, a family life, and a life led by a moral compass and so i am very proud to say that i don't do anything that compromises my character and this goes back to really young i mean like right after star search when i was asked to sing at the primary inauguration ball for ronald reagan and i said no absolutely not right and everybody was like it's the president of the Fucking United States, and it's the ball. It's the highest place. And I said, I just can't do it. Now, if I had made different choices to do things like that, perhaps I would have had a different career and a different life. But I, I I can't. I just can't. I can't. Uh, And I think we have to make those decisions, whether we're in show business or any kind of anything with a public platform. I think we all have to make those decisions. All the time, even if you're not, even if you're just a person, you're not just, that's a horrible word to say. Even if you're a person who has a job with other people and things come up, it's like being silent when you hear something inappropriate. You, You have to, how do I say this? Well, I'll give you one. By having a child, I am responsible to be my best person, even when I'm not with him. Right. I have to make the right choices. I have to make the right decisions because if I can't be an example of what I want him to be as a citizen of this world, then why bother? Right.
0: Wow. I mean,
2: really gone off track from how fabulous I am as an actor.
1: <laughs> yes. We haven't even gotten to the Linda Eder section. <laughs> There's a Linda Eder section. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, I, but uh, being a uh, person who was born in 1970, I, of course, remember Sam Harris and Linda Eder being in my living room like every week. <laughs> and that's why you're gay. I, I think so. Yeah. I'm
0: gay because you watched me on television. Oh, no, um, no You're gay. Oh, I see. <laughs> yes, I see. I understand. Um, so, so, post Star Search and everything, uh, getting back to your incredible career, I remember Greece being a huge deal, the revival of Greece. Um, and you were the, the dudes, the duty, yeah. And that production was gigantic, I mean, a huge hit. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, like, tell us what that experience was like. Well, I knew Rosie, she was also on Star Search, and we had
2: met doing several different things. Um, and so we were friends and when the, the, it came up I was like we talked to each other and she was like are you gonna do it if you do it I'll do it and I was like I'll do it if you do it but I have to tell you that I did not imagine my Broadway debut in such a corny piece of schlock I thought I was going to do something very very important very important something you know that would be revolutionary in the theater and it wasn't at all it was a piece of fun but boy did I have a piece of fun It was almost everyone on that stage in that company, it was their Broadway debut. And so it was a really extraordinary experience. And I was fortunate, Billy Porter and I were fortunate that we were the ones who got to arrange our own big numbers. We got to work with our amazing music director, John McDaniel, to create these things. And uh, that's a a real uh, pleasure because you don't normally get to do that when you're uh, doing a, a, a show. So I had a great time. And mm-hmm. I have friends in that show that are my dear friends to this day. And it was an extraordinary experience. Uh, it, you know, the, 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 this is a sort of off the subject, but when you're doing a piece of fluff, the challenge is to give it some gravity. Right. The to give it some sort of foundation. And so Jessica Stone, who played Frenchie, who was my girlfriend in the show, we did... <laughs> I laugh at it now. It feels corny, but we did so much backstory and our relationship and all the stuff that we created that was not remotely in the book um, because we needed to have something to stand on. And we did, we did create that where there was this real relationship. And the more ridiculous the show is, the more you have to find that foundation. So, I don't take anything lightly. You know, maybe it's corny, but everything I do, I take it very seriously. I explore it, I investigate it, I'm curious about it, I do my homework, because ultimately I'm such a fan of this craft that it would be a disservice for me to uh, phone it in or take it lightly. It's
0: not in my bones. And, and all that hair on that stage. <laughs> oh my gosh, incredible wigs. Um, yeah, we all had big wigs. Oh, just very fun. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was not Shakespeare as we say. No. But, but there's a place for everything, you know? And, and it was joyous,
2: it was really fun.
0: Yeah, and I think it, that's exactly what we needed at that time. Um, I, I think um, somebody sent me a link
2: to a, a, a montage of Greece and all these different songs and all these different things. And I saw it and I had never seen it. It's probably seven or eight minutes long, at least. And here we are in Greece, Lightning with these tires schlepping, pushing, throwing them up, cartwheeling over them, flipping under them, throwing them at each other. Fl- Those were real tires because the Weislers, who produced the show, were so cheap that they couldn't buy like stage tires. So these were 40 pound rubber tires and we were schlepping them all over the place and really difficult choreography. This gymnastic, you know, aerobic choreography, gymnastic choreography with these giant real tires. And I'm like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, if they only knew.
0: If they only knew! Oh my gosh,
2: that's
1: incredible.
0: <laughs> that's that's hazardous. I you, mean, it
2: was hazardous. Wow! I, I had a I had an injury from that that I had to have surgery for like 15 years later because you know me, I don't listen. I don't miss a show. I'm like, oh no no no, I'll keep going on. I'll keep going on until my body is like I'm like an I'm like an NFL person. I have had hip surgeries, knee surgeries, rotator cuff surgeries. I'm practically a rope, not aerobic. I'm practically bionic.
1: I think <laughs> they're man. all
2: show business. They're all show business injuries.
1: Well, you know, I think people forget, and I'm sure you know um, that when you're in the arts, you are, you are an athlete no matter what you're doing because you have so much to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. You do. yeah. You do. So Sam, you're also a writer. I am. Now, can I ask you, do you, do you write music? Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, and so is the, so are you on the piano or the guitar? The piano. The piano. And I
2: write, um, I mean, I've written a lot of the songs I've recorded over the years. Of course. But, but also, uh, most recently, there was a book that I wrote called Ham, Slices of a Life, and which became a show called Ham, a Musical Memoir, which I did in New York and L.A., and then we shot it for television. And so now it's streaming. It's on, you know, Apple and Amazon and what prime, whatever, everywhere. And it just came out this year and I wrote a lot of those songs and it's autobiographical. I'm so proud of this guys. If you haven't seen it, I really hope that you will. It's called Ham, A Musical Memoir and it's my life on the stage and in song and in stories. And um, I'm really proud of it.
0: That's amazing. Cause it came from you. Cause it's so all original, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it was, it's, you
2: know, it's interesting, because as an actor, you, when you're playing a character, you know, you imbue that character with your own personal experience, right? To make it authentic. But when you're playing your actual self at like five years old and three years old and 12 years old and 25 years old, and you're experiencing those same things, it's you. So you're not (laughs) substituting anything. It's literally you. So that made the show uh, just sort of certainly physically and uh, vocally challenging, but also emotionally. It was because it's, you know, it's funny. It's a lot of fun, but it's, um,
0: you know, it's, it's quite dramatic as well. <laughs> um, your rendition of Somewhere Over the Rainbow is quite iconic and, um, it it is the Star Search moment, right? Right, and it's it's also on your uh, Standard Time yep. uh, <clears throat> album that I have here, um, and it's. <sighs> I think it's one of those things where, yes, of course, Judy Garland's version is the iconic version, but there is something about being a young gay man and hearing that song with another gay man singing it Mm -hmm. that was so uh, moving. Thank you. Um, Again, see it to be it uh, moments. And there's another moment you had like that um, right after 9-11 on the Oprah Winfrey show. Mm. Yes, that was
2: a a, a really important uh, memory for me. Absolutely.
0: So (laughs) just, I was in a production of Grand Hotel during 9-11. And that's not the show you wanted to be doing (laughs) post-9-11, because I don't know how familiar you are, but at the very end, like all the scullery workers and maids and everything are singing in German, like very angrily at the audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, pre-war, real close to pre-war. And doing that first show back after taking a few days off at 9-11, the firsts after 9-11 were very important and tentative. And I believe the firsts post-COVID will Mm. be as well. Yes. Um, Yes. I think this holiday season is going to be huge in many ways. But but (laughs) there was something about that song is, of course, has been around for decades. You'll never walk alone. And... Of course, it seems like a go to for comfort and strength, but the way that you style a song, the way that you interpret a song song that was um, it was just a moment. There was not a dry eye present, you know, and we all needed that as a nation.
2: Um, Well, I was so honored to have been asked to do this and I got this call. It was a week after 9-11. We were all so terrified. And by the way, I had moved. New York is where I lived, and I had moved to Los Angeles on September 10th. Uh, so there I was, my house burning down, and I was away, and I there was no way. Even though this happened to us as a nation, it happened to New Yorkers in a different way. And so here I was in Los Angeles, and I didn't, I couldn't find a, I couldn't find a. a, a Uh, uh, some solace, a place that I felt understood. And then I got this call from Oprah asking me to come in to do this show, which was called Music to Heal Our Hearts. And so, of course, I said, yes. What am I going to say? No, Oprah. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so my music director, Todd, and I went went to Chicago, which was so many things. It was the first plane ride. It was all those things. But what was extraordinary about this? So I get there and I'm trying to figure out what to sing. And I knew I, I thought I wanted to sing You'll Never Walk Alone. And then Oprah shows up, we're in a hallway with a piano and Oprah's in like sweatpants and a baseball cap. And she said, do you know Precious Lord? And I said, kind of, sorta, not really. And she said, it was Dr. King's favorite song and I'm gonna, you know, I want you to learn it and see if it's, you can incorporate this. Well, about 20 minutes later, 18 CDs came to me that had different versions of this song precious lord because you know the oprah thing is like a city it's like there's i believe they got these from the oprah record shop i mean like it's it's self-contained so (laughs) i listen to all these
1: she's like amazon
2: (laughs) she's totally amazon you could go to like the oprah restaurant to the oprah spa so anyway i find this song you know i'm learning it we put it on the beginning of it and i gotta tell you guys well first of all we did the rehearsal, and then we, those of us who were involved, there were about four of us, went to Oprah's house that night for dinner and talked about our feelings and our experiences and what was going on, and it was all Southern food. It was food I grew up on. It was like fried chicken and fried green tomatoes, and it was like this comfort food, and we were up really late and drank a lot, and then we had to get up at the crack of dawn to do the show, and when we did it, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the video, I'm barely making it through. And she said to me after, she was like, "I didn't think you were going to make it," because all of a sudden I was finally able to do something of service, right? I was able to take action in this helpless time, and I was able to use myself and my gift to be a part of a repair rather than just sit in this hopeless, dark cloud. And it was very, very emotional for me. Um, so yeah, thank you for mentioning that performance and that thing. And then as a fun aside, I flew back, I flew back on Oprah's private jet because she was going to Santa Barbara. She was like, I'll drop you off. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm expecting like a parachute.
1: Right, You um, can
2: drop. And we had leftovers from the night before. She brought Tupperware. And, Had leftovers from the night before. Uh, She did something wonderful. She said, I never, ever, ever, ever do this. She said, I got the tape from the show this morning because, of course, we hadn't seen it and we sat and watched the whole show together. Um, It was lovely. But boy, oh boy, you know, I think you're right. I think after the end of COVID, there's going to be a lot of emotions and a lot of value to what we're doing. Uh, Things are going to mean different things. You know, things that we've taken for granted meaning one thing are all of a sudden gonna have a different meaning.
0: It'll be interesting. It's interesting, you know, we're very grateful we have each other and Mm -hmm. our two lovely, we don't have kids, we have two lovely pugs.
2: Oh Um, my God, I just got a pug last, a year ago, April for my son. He wanted a pug, his name is Kevin.
1: Oh. Are you kidding? (laughs) His name is Kevin. We, oh have, my we God. have two pugs. One is Lord Byron and one is Edgar Allen Pug.
0: <laughs> See, we're writers too, so... How me, noble, how noble. I
2: gotta tell you, though, can I say this? I hope your pugs can't hear. They are just not bright. They are not bright. I have had dogs my entire life. If you actually, Cooper, my son, Cooper said, Alexa, are pugs intelligent? And Alexa actually says pugs are not known to be uh, intelligent mm. they require 80 repeated times to learn a new behavior and then will only perform it 20% of the time
1: <laughs> sam you just described me yeah <laughs> i think i might be a bug <laughs> <laughs> well owners turn into their
0: dogs is that I, what it is right i think so well i mean i think that more this is our these are our God, we had one pug before these two, and we said we would never have another dog. And then we got two more pugs. Oh,
1: of course you did. And uh, one for me, one for you.
0: Yeah, matching set. And um, <laughs> I, I believe sometimes it is dumbness, and I believe other times it's like fake. It's like I, I don't agree. know what you're talking about. It's like I one agree. part indignant. Um, I
2: agree. They're very. They can be very stubborn, and you think that they're not terribly bright, and then you realize they're winning.
0: They are. They do. They always do. Um,
1: yeah. But what, anyway. I was,
0: what I was going to say is um, there were several friends that we've, you know, all of our friends are of the age that we've all been double vax plus two weeks, you know. And, um, right, right. And we've been able to see them uh, at our home again. And yeah. just the power of a hug mm. and feeling the uh, response to that hug in the other person who maybe hasn't had another person to hug. Right. Is gigantic, just touch and and um, absolutely. So, yeah, I think I think there's going to be. I'm very optimistic and hopeful that uh, this this recovery and this new leadership that seems oh my god, like the adults are back in charge,
1: exactly. Yeah, it might take us a while to get there. I just wanted to quickly comment and say that. Carousel, to me, was never my favorite musical to be in. But mm-hmm. ironically enough, I was in Carousel during 9-11. And after mm. after we went back, of course, You'll Never Walk Alone landed every night in some sort of just different way. Yes. Uh, my second comment is, I don't think Oprah had Tupperware. It was probably her own line, Oprah wear. Which you could have bought in a shop in her city. <laughs> you could have bought <laughs> a shop in the city. and It was Sir- like
2: Sir La Oprah.
1: Right. And third of all, I'm going to also out my husband here. He uh, has, we we are writers, actors, directors. We do lots of hats here in Washington, D.C. But he actually crafted, I believe, Stephen, a cabaret called Use What You Got.
0: Stop it. I did. Didn't you? Yeah, but that was about me using all the... the... <laughs> I had to do a cabaret and I didn't want to learn new materials. But so that song was in it. It was the first song because I didn't want to learn. I was in between shows and I.
1: So my, my bridge is Carousel, really great song. Uh, the Life, really great song.
0: Use what you got. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They, so they, you're they, telling me that you used this title
0: because you didn't want to learn any new material. And I wanted to. This is how we phrase things. I wanted to <laughs> highlight past hits yeah, of my
2: career. I basically don't think that's true. I think that you were lazy.
0: <laughs> I think that he, he
1: was he was checking how much he was getting paid yes. and balancing it out.
0: I think I sometimes see. the dollars don't match the donuts, if you know what I mean. You know, you know
2: what though? It's funny because, you know, with COVID, none of us have been doing anything. And also, I was sort of out of circulation in a concert world because prior to COVID even, I was working on Ham, that show and playing that show in New York, Los Angeles, and then runs here and then mounting it and then shooting it and all that. And that was my focus. So I haven't really been on the concert circuit for like five years, including COVID. And so I'm just now putting a thing together called that we're calling the return, which is the return of all of us to some sort of public existence and also my return. And so there are certain songs that I, I feel obligated to do or that people expect me to do. But I'm doing all this new material and it's really exciting. I've had my musical director for like 27 years, I think. Todd Schroeder, who's a brilliant, brilliant man. He's like my music my <laughs> soulmate. And for us to get together and just sing and play and discover is so thrilling. And I, I don't know about you guys because you're also singers and actors, but I know from a lot of my friends who haven't been working this last year and a half uh, I was afraid to say, I didn't know if I could sing again, the, the muscle is rusty, I've not been keeping it up, I have no desire, I feel isolated. And it was like, do I, am I going to do this? Am I, am I do I want to do this? Can I do this? And for the first time in my life, the first time in my life, I have sat down at the piano every day and actually done scales and warmed up and like sung because I literally couldn't sing, guys. Like nothing was happening. It was awful. Like yeah. Can I can't do this. And I've never done that except when I'm working. If I'm working, I you know I warm up and I do whatever, if I'm doing a show, whatever. But when there's not a job in front of me to do this, to have this discipline, I've never done it. I've never had to. And now I am. And to sit down and do that like a student, has been so thrilling, and then the voice comes back, and oh my god, it's Caroline Ray. I'm gonna hang up on her. Okay, um, sorry, Caroline. <laughs> anyway, um, it's been it's you know uh, so I'm putting together this new show, and I'm I'm I feel like I'm. <sighs> One time I was in a ballet class, a beginning ballet class, and Mikhail Berezdikov showed up, and it's taking a about a basic ballet class. I'm like, why the fuck is Mikhail Berejnikov? And it's like, because the basics, the basics. And I'm doing the basics. I'm sitting at the piano and doing these scales and warming up and it feels really exciting. Yeah. And, and I'm singing now really well, you know, after a few weeks of this. Um, I don't know why I brought this up, except that I'm doing a new
0: show and I'm
2: excited about it, and I was not excited, I was scared, and now I'm excited.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and, and this will be, like, folks can find you on your website, this will be like an update on your website and stuff when it happens, right? Yeah, 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 of course. So we'll share all those links in the description. Um, I do Thank want to get in one more thing. You wrote a book that came out last July yes. called The Substance of All Things. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's, it's a fiction. It's
2: my first literary fiction. The, the response has been, so. I'm so grateful. It's been, the reviews have been crazy silly. Um, and it's a fiction set in two times, 1968 in rural Oklahoma. Gee, where did that come from? Right. And, and also this same character, Theo, as an adult who is a therapist and has to sort of re-look at his childhood uh, that he's ignored through his work with this very damaged woman. And it's, uh, I'm so proud of this. It's my best writing ever. We're talking about a film of it. Um, It's really, um, it's called The Substance of All Things. And you know, it's so funny because whatever I'm doing is what I love. If I'm making a record, I love making a record. If I'm doing a show, I love making a show. But this book, I guess because of the dedication to writing a book, which was a four year process, um, is larger. It's actually like the thing I'm probably the most proud of. Wow. Because
0: you created a world, yeah. These people, I know these people, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a long process. Yeah, I, I, it's. I don't think people who don't do that really understand what it takes and the dedication and the imagination and the like living with these people in these situations constantly in your head. Yeah, um, it's a it's a mental workout. So um,
2: for a long time, I ride very fast, but I edit very slowly. Yeah, Uh, And I've learned that, that when you're creating anything, whether you're writing a a song or a book or a monologue or a show or whatever, you write, just write, just write. Don't look at it. Don't edit it. Don't figure it out. Don't criticize it. Just write. Yeah. And then your flow happens.
1: Mm -hmm. And then it
2: happens and it comes out.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Then that's magical. Mm -hmm. Then you go back. But I know many people who have said, oh, I should write a book about something and they never get past the first chapter because they're judging it. Right. You have to write, write, and then go back. And yeah. then it will, then it will, will show itself. Yeah. You can't, it, can't, it doesn't work incrementally.
0: It's a For whittling me. process. Yeah, totally. It, it's, it's like, uh, I always say, I've got to write the crappy version first. And, yeah. then, and then I get that out and I'm like, okay, what do I hate? Well, and also when
2: you're writing in flow, when you're writing in that kind of uh, possession, um, then when you come, sometimes when you go back, when I go back, I don't remember writing it. It happened. It just happened. And then I can look at it from a different eye. Right. But But being in that thing can be quite magical or really horrible. It's like it ain't happening right now. But mm-hmm. when it happens, oh my God, when it happens, I lose, no, I lose all sense of time. I lose, I don't eat for whatever. I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten for 12 hours. And it's dark and my family hasn't been fed. And uh, it's really magical. I love that place. And the other side of that, as far as my musicality and, or shows that I write for myself, or, is I could live in a, my favorite place to be is in a rehearsal room. That's where I live, where you can experiment and fail and try it and try it again. And just that's where I, if I could live in a rehearsal room and people make fun of me, they're like, Sam, it's, you need to take a break. I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you <laughs> mean, break? I'll have a cliff bar, keep going. And <laughs> <laughs> because, um, God, that's like, that's the best. That's experimenting and failing.
1: That's the thrill. That's the yeah. thrill. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't learn as much succeeding as you do by failing. Right. Yeah.
2: And you know, I get made fun of, cause I don't mark a lot. Well, I can't, I can't discover a lot when I'm marking,
0: um, you know, Nor do you, are you able to figure out what you can sustain, what the market will bear, so to speak? Like, oh, totally. you have to build those muscles in that role and kind of go, okay, right. This, yeah.
2: I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're rehearsing for eight hours, then it's you should not be singing full out, but it's also investing. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I know that we've been talking forever. I, before I was doing the LA production of Ham, I really, I hurt my vocal cords. Um, I was just over singing and I had a lot of press and I was showing off at weird hours of the morning. and. And the doctor said, you cannot, if you're gonna open in a week, you cannot talk or sing the week before you open. So we were going through tech and I couldn't do the show. So the stage manager had to read all my lines and Todd, my music director would play through the songs and I couldn't make a sound. And can I tell you, it was the most I, I gleaned more from that from having to stand there and just feel what was going on and just go through the emotional process of linking that together without saying it or singing it was like this crazy gift because I didn't get to rely on any tricks or any I, pre- ideas of what I thought was supposed to happen. I literally was stripped of my means of expression. And so everything was internal. It was an extraordinary experience.
0: Wow. It's like a living, a silent movie kind of.
2: Exactly. We had faces then.
0: (laughs) It's the return. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sam. So we don't, we are looking at the time. We don't want to take too much. I wish we could have gotten to everything, but I, we always finish the podcast with three questions.
1: So, Here they are. Matthew, take the first two. The first one is during the uh, pandemic, a lot of people, of course, took on lots of brand new learning. I'm learning French. I'm learning to bake. Did you do any like I'm going to go back and learn how to play the violin?
2: <laughs> um, I did what I'm, I'm not. I'm not special. I cook so much. I, uh, I grind my own meat. I make my own pasta. I bake my own bread. I did all that stuff. And because there was that whole run on flour, I have hundreds of pounds of flour stored in my garage that are probably weevil-eaten at this point. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, if you want to come over, I, I can make you a hell of a meal.
1: <laughs> um, second question is, um, during the pandemic we had to find other things to binge and do, and a lot of people you know, were watching the, Tons and tons of things they never would have watched before. Did you watch, you know, The Crown?
2: Oh, of course. Did, is that the question? Did I watch The Crown? It's, I no. watched <laughs> The Crown. I loved The Crown. I this is the so official
0: much. Crown podcast.
2: So, um, all of this whole thing for the last 45 minutes has been leading to did this you question, watch
1: the Crown? Olivia Coleman.
2: I, Olivia Coleman. There's nothing else, it's only Olivia Coleman. Of course, I watched The Crown. Um, I, I you know we binged a lot of things and none of them I can remember except I I do I didn't watch Schitt's Creek when it first started and so I watched all 6 seasons in like you know 3 days which was deep <laughs> <laughs> I so love good though yes so so great but and- yes I, we binge watched lots of things and I gained so much weight I I'm so typical I gained so much weight and now I've lost fifteen. I have fifteen to go, and I'm working out like an animal. But no, it has not been pretty here.
0: Well, I mean, I think many people have gained weight. I know we both have, and we're we're back at the gym now that we can be trying to, you know, get it back to normal, get it under control for the
1: swimsuit. Um, and now I'm keeping my mask on, hoping none of my friends recognize me. <laughs> ah.
2: I know, right? Even after we don't have to wear masks, I think I'm going to keep wearing it just so nobody knows who I am.
1: <laughs> um, well, I am, um, I'm very excited that at some time we will go back to, you'll maybe go back on tour. And maybe we, we can see you in Virginia. Uh, the Birchmere we saw you at was in Alexandria, Virginia.
2: Yes. Um, I need you- to come to DC. I need to come around there for sure.
1: Yeah, but Stephen, you have the last question.
0: Yeah. Um. So Matt is also another comma a record producer. Yeah, oh, I'm like selling records. Yeah, not really, but um, he is he's producing a, a dear friend of ours, a performer from New York and DC. Her name is Susan, Susan Derry, Derry. and she is uh, doing a holiday album. It's called "I Wish It So."
1: <gasps> and you mean
0: the the dull coward song, or is yes. It- no, it's Brett. It's it's Kurt
2: Vile, isn't it? Who would, who wrote that? Anyway, yes,
1: I I I I'd have to look at her notes, but yes, I'll get back to you. Check harryfox.com. No, I've got it right here. Um, so uh,
0: this album's coming out in the in the this is clearly holiday season, but yeah, it's. Oh, sorry, s- it says Mark. Blitstein.
2: Oh, Mark Blitzstein, of course.
1: That's it.
0: Okay. Um, And it's got us talking about the power of wishes and what a wish really is. Mm -hmm. And so I made this wish box and each guest has has given us a wish. And this will all be kind of taken out of the, unboxed, as you say, Mm -hmm. at uh, an artist studio by the name of Sushmita Mazandar. Say that again. Sushmita Mazandar? Sushmita Mazandar. Yeah. I need to meet her. Go on. She's fabulous. She is. She's been a guest on the show, but she's gonna do some kind of paper art with the wishes. Mm. So, and and also it'll be like a time capsule of where culturally we were in the zeitgeist during the past year. Um, Mm. So we've been asking everybody, if you had one wish, be it for yourself, your family, the country, the world, the first Mm. thing that comes to your mind, what would it be? I wish that we not forget
2: the silver lining blessings of the pandemic. Yep. Because there were many, right? Reunions with people. Yep. Understanding our what we needed and loved and how we helped each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish we not lose that because I feel like we're a society that moves on so quickly. It's like, okay, that happened. Yeah. And there were some big lessons there and I hope that we remember some of them.
0: Got
1: it. I feel like every guest, Stephen asks, uh, what, you're, what do you wish? I feel like their answer in their head is, I wish you would have asked me this an hour ago so I could have thought about it. <laughs> no kidding, right? Like It's a heavy question. It's a heavy question. I
0: like, spont- I, I like the spontaneity of the first thing that's top of the mind is usually the truest, you know? Well, that's what I thought of. I hope it works. If well, it Sam,
1: you this- are such an inspiration to talk tonight. I mean, I'm going to hang up the phone with my husband, and we are going to, like, jump up and down because you are... Such a beautiful role model for so many things you do. For me, for sure, just been a delight to talk to you.
2: Thank you. I've enjoyed myself. You guys are great. This is really I love. I love when an interview goes all over the place, and it's not. Uh, you know, it's there are not so many thanks. times. I mean, I'll say this. No, no, no. Well, not only that, but I'll say this. You, I can say this to you guys. Even if we're still on on the podcast, there are you know interviewers who ask you a question and didn't really listen to anything because then they say, okay, net number two. Well, with you guys, wherever the conversation goes, it goes. And that's what makes it personal and enjoyable. And so I am grateful to you for a wonderful almost hour.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I'm so excited to hear what's going to happen to all that flower. (laughs) Me too. Right. All
0: right. right, Thank you, Sam. Well, gentlemen. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye bye. Wow, that was such a great interview. I love talking to Sam. One of my idols of all time. I, I looked up to him. He taught me how to sing by listening to his recordings. I've seen him live and in, in shows. We saw him at the Birchmere. We did see him at the Birchmere. It was so great to meet him through this this format, this podcast that has. Wonderfully snowballed uh, and got gotten bigger and bigger as it has gone along. Um, if you don't know anything about us and you're like, who do those guys think they are? Uh, please check out our website, www.connor, with an E-R, smithmusicals.com. You can also find us on Facebook with uh, Connor and Smith. So, uh, please check that out. Great right. Review and subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out. Um, and I guess, as we always say, turn your heart into art. Good night, everybody.